Well, this morning we turn to Matthew chapter 22, and uh, Jesus will continue this sort of string of parables that he is uh, laying on the Pharisees. And um, this was uh, maybe one that's familiar to you. There's a parallel passage in Luke that has a very similar story as well. Uh, but that's Matthew chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 14, and that can be found on page number 983 of the Pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. And again Jesus spoke to the chief priests and the elders in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But... When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for... Many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as always, recognizing our inability to understand your word apart from your Holy Spirit. In your kingdom, Father, you rule us by your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so would you please open our hearts and minds to understand this parable, that we might worship you, that we might glory in the fact that you have freely invited us into the wedding feast of your Son, and that all we need do is accept the gift of the wedding garment that he provides. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... We've all made uh, plans for a vacation or a party or an event or a trip, whatever it is, something that's far enough in the future uh, that we get to look forward to it. It's, it's usually something that's the kind of thing that we would really love to do and to go and to see. And when we have something like that in front of us, I don't know about you, but I can tend to focus on it. We spend time imagining what it's going to be like researching different outings we can go on when we're there, uh, 
We save money so that when we get there, we can go anywhere and eat anywhere we want without having to think about such things. I'm sure every single one of us here has been captivated by something that we've planned to do and to go and to see just like this. And we know how our hopes and our dreams and our expectations of that future can sort of flood back in to our hearts and our minds in the present, like an engaged couple waiting for their wedding day. And this morning, Jesus is going to remind us that the kingdom of heaven is something like that. It's such a wonderful place that we should enter it now without hesitation, and then we should spend our whole lives longing for the moment when we will experience the fullness of it. Our hopes and our dreams and our expectations of that future moment should be the thing that fills our hearts and our minds the most every single day. And we should let nothing get in the way of entering the kingdom and living in the kingdom and longing for the time when Jesus returns and he makes all things new. He does away with sin and Satan and death. And in this parable, Jesus is going to remind us how wonderful the kingdom of heaven is. He's going to remind us that anyone can enter the kingdom of heaven, but he's also going to remind us that we may only enter on his terms. So that's our outline for this morning. First, we're going to look at the fact that the kingdom of heaven is so wonderful, you don't want to miss it. And then the kingdom of heaven is unconditionally available to anyone, but there is one condition everyone must meet to truly belong in the kingdom of heaven. So first, the kingdom of heaven is so wonderful, you don't want to miss it. As we've gone through the book of Matthew, we've discussed the kingdom of heaven some, but just as a reminder, uh, the kingdom of heaven is more of a realm than a place. The kingdom of heaven is present in the hearts and the minds of Jesus' people, those who are ruled by him, and the way he rules us is through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even though the kingdom of heaven is invisible, we see it you know, every week when we come here and we gather together as the people of God. We see the evidence of the kingdom in the faithful lives of Christians and Christian families. And today, Jesus wants us to know that the kingdom is so wonderful that you don't want to miss it. And so he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he wants us to imagine being invited to the wedding feast of a prince. The only people who go to the wedding feast of a prince are the nobles, the wealthy, the connected, and maybe in our time, the celebrities. They're the people who get invited to something like that. But he wants us to know that imagine, imagine we are going. There would be something about the moment, something about the magnitude of the, of the event that we would all want to go out of curiosity, if for nothing else. This is why the entire Western world pays attention when anything happens in Britain. No other funeral does anybody care about. No other coronation does the world care about. 
Back when Harry and Meghan got married, we all paid attention, even if it was just out of the corner of our eye, because there's something really amazing about the wedding feast of the prince. The king will spare no expense. It will be a spectacle. It will have the best food, the best wine, the best entertainment that money can buy. And if you're a citizen of that kingdom, this is your prince getting married. Your honor is bound up in his honor. And the fact that you have the opportunity to go is the most amazing reality in life. There's no way you would miss it. And it was no different at the time of Jesus. To receive an invitation to the prince's wedding would have been the highest of honors. Just like receiving an invitation to enter the kingdom of heaven is the highest of honors. Because it is an invitation from the ultimate king. It's an invitation from God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who rules all things. And if we enter the kingdom of heaven, we will get to experience the ultimate wedding feast of his son when one day Jesus does return in glory. On that day, we will be united with Jesus forever without sin because the church, us, we are the bride of Christ. And all of that is why the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a wedding feast for a prince. And so Jesus goes on to tell us that the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now back then, wedding feasts were very similar uh, to the way they are now. Uh, There was probably something along the lines of a save the date so that you would know that you've been invited to the wedding so you could expect to go to it when it finally arrives. Uh, Maybe there was even something like an RSVP so that the people putting on the feast would would have the appropriate amount of food. Uh, But dates were a little more loose back then, and and so when it was finally time for the event, uh, the king would send out servants to let everybody know, now is the moment, come, enjoy the feast. But Jesus tells us those who were invited would not come. Now, if this were just anyone, this would be the height of disrespect, But this is the king. This is the wedding for his son. And so this is rebellion. No one disrespects the king. No one has anything more important to do than attend the the, uh, wedding for the king's son that he invited you to. And Jesus wants his audience to know that the kingdom of heaven is here. And receiving an invitation to enter the kingdom of heaven can be compared to the wonder and the joy and the honor of being invited to the prince's wedding. And the Jewish people had all been invited. And now the time has come to enter the kingdom of heaven through the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, but they would not come. But this isn't just the Jewish people. This is anyone who's been brought up in the church, who's forgotten or never understood how great it is to live in the kingdom of heaven, to live life ruled by Jesus through his word and by his spirit. These are religious people that Jesus is dealing with here. These are the ones who believed they already belonged to God because they were circumcised or baptized. They were raised in the covenant community They've always been a Christian. 
or because they think they believe all the right doctrines even if those doctrines have no effect on how they live their life. You see, they've lost the sense of urgency that we need to always be ready and waiting and longing for the kingdom of heaven to come in its fullness. And so they are despising this great gift from the king of heaven. And what does the king do? Does he immediately go out and punish them like they deserve? No. No, just like the vineyard owner from our parable last week, this king bears the shame of their rejection himself. And he sends his servants out to remind them. Because it's his kindness and his patience that leads to repentance. And so again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So go back and tell everybody how amazing it is. Tell them you don't want to miss this. The richest food, the finest wine, everything is ready. There's forgiveness of sins, and you've been invited into the throne room of God. It's so wonderful you don't want to miss it. Come to the feast right this moment. Eat and drink for free. Celebrate with God the Father what Jesus has done for sinners. You see, this is what God is like. How many of us understood how wonderful it is to enter into the kingdom of heaven the first time we heard the invitation? Probably none of us. Like a child who grows up in the church, what do, what do children who grew up in the church love? Well, they love, well now it's Star Wars, Disneyland, I don't know, does anybody love Disneyland anymore? Legos, I know it's Legos. Dolls, sports, friends, right? These are the things that fill the heart of a child. And so God and his grace comes to us over and over and over again as we grow up and reminds us that there's nothing more wonderful than the kingdom of heaven, even as we groan at the idea of going to church because we just don't yet understand how wonderful the kingdom of heaven really is. But God is patient with us. It's the wedding feast for the king's son. It's better than anything else. It's the thing you wouldn't want to miss, as C.S. Lewis famously said. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So nothing should distract us from the kingdom of heaven. And the fact that this very moment we can be alive in the kingdom of heaven, but we are so easily distracted. Just like the guests invited to the king's son's wedding, they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. Notice farms and businesses are very good things. See, their rebellion was not in their farm. Their rebellion was not in their business. Their rebellion was the fact that they preferred their farm and their business to the kingdom of heaven. 
So Christian, what has captured your heart? Is your heart more gripped by your career and your family and your hobbies than the kingdom of heaven? What fills your mind and your daydreams? What makes you anxious? These are the things that are important to us. And God is inviting us all to let the grand reality of what God has done in Christ be the thing that rules and guides our passions and our desires every single day. Because all it takes to miss the kingdom is to be more interested in something else. The people Jesus is talking about miss the kingdom of heaven not because of great sin and evil, but simply because they preferred their farms and their businesses. And so while some reject the kingdom of heaven because of indifference, Others rejected openly. So the first group went off to their farms and their businesses, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Whoa. Remember, Jesus is describing the Jewish people right now, and especially the religious leaders who will crucify him. And they are so offended and angry about receiving an invitation from him to enter the kingdom of heaven And the only reason that could be is because they think the kingdom of heaven is already theirs. This is how religious people respond when someone suggests that they've misunderstood the kingdom of heaven. There is no one more offended by the actual words of the Bible than a religious person who thinks he already has it all figured out. So what will God do to those who scorn his invitation? Well, Jesus tells us the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So this is what is waiting for those who refuse God's gracious invitation to enter his kingdom because of their indifference, or because they refuse to check their beliefs with the actual words of Scripture. And this is why the Scriptures are filled with warnings for us. Because the kingdom of heaven is so wonderful that you wouldn't want to miss it. And because the alternative is so terrible and there really is no in-between. These are words from Jesus from earlier in the book of Matthew. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Right? It's easy It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to get offended if God's word challenges us when we think we've already punched our ticket to heaven. It's easy to fall into a life of sin. That's why the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Later, Jesus gives this warning. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, so those who were born in the covenant community, those who received the sign of the covenant, who expected to be there, they will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So... Later in chapter 10, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then Jesus says this, 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Don't prefer anything to Jesus. Not your farm, not your business, not your family. That's not even counting what we find outside of the book of Matthew. This is from Colossians chapter 1. Jesus has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. So you're, you have peace with God now because of what Jesus has done. And he's done that in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. So you only get verse 22. If indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, become a minister. And then Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is filled with very similar warnings not to grow cold or to lose sight of how wonderful the kingdom of heaven is. The writer says this in chapter 2, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Therefore, it's possible to drift away from it. It's possible to move into a place where you do find your family and your farm and your business more compelling. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and that's the Old Testament, and everyone, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape how shall we, who have the fullness of God's revelation to us in Christ, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Or this one. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's the same thing Paul said in Colossians, right? As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And this last one from Paul. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do, not, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control. And here's why, you guys. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul thought this. And the reason he says this is because we must run to win the prize. And the prize that we're after is not an imperishable reef. It is, it is an imperishable prize. It is something more wonderful than we could ever imagine. It is something we could never let go of. Jesus wants us to know that it's like the wedding feast of the king's son, probably the most amazing earthly reality that anybody in his time could ever comprehend being invited to. 
Don't get distracted by your farm or your business. That's not to say we don't, we don't work, we don't pour ourselves into our farm and our business, but we do so as Christians. We do so for the glory of God. We do so for, for, what, for what that can accomplish in the lives of other people that they might be able to know this wonder and glory of the kingdom. Don't get distracted by our hobbies or whatever fills our daydreams. Don't get angry or hostile if God's word challenges us to think differently than we have before. Wrestle with his word. The unified cry of scripture is do not become complacent. Do not take this offer to enter the kingdom for granted. Do not forget how wonderful the imperishable prize is that's waiting for us. Which is why Jesus goes on and says this, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. They were not worthy not because they needed to do anything to earn their place in the kingdom, but simply because they thought other things were better. They just couldn't see that the wonder and the beauty of knowing God and the forgiveness of Christ is so much better. So exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now everything we've said so far does not change the fact that we are saved completely by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We can do nothing to earn our place in the kingdom. We can do nothing to qualify ourselves for the kingdom. And we can do nothing actually to earn our remaining place in the kingdom. Because the kingdom of heaven is unconditionally available to anyone. So don't forget, those who were originally invited to this wedding feast had done nothing to earn their original invitation. The benefit of being born a Jew then or into a Christian home now is that you will receive an invitation. And it will be an invitation that is clearly explained to you through years and years and years of catechism and Sunday school and attending church. And you will know that it is wonderful and that you've done nothing to deserve that invitation, but that you are invited to enter the kingdom anyway out of sheer grace. That is the benefit of being a baptized Christian. As we just saw, even if we are indifferent, God and His grace will remind us again how wonderful the kingdom is, but we shouldn't take that reminder for granted. So while it is still today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. This is the greatest feast you could ever imagine, like a feast for the wedding of the king's son. We should enter it and not let anything in this world get in our way, because the kingdom of heaven is unconditionally available to anyone. And Jesus illustrates that point right now. He says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the main road is filled with Gentiles and sinners, filthy people. And so on one hand, Jesus is teaching the Jewish people that the kingdom is meant to include people from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. And on the other hand, he's teaching all of us that the offer of the gospel is free for anyone. 
Jesus' kingdom will be filled with guests because there's no way Jesus will not save his people from their sins. And it doesn't bother him a bit to fill up that wedding feast with all the sinners and the shady characters of this world. Which is why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world because whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As we saw two weeks ago, this includes the worst sinners a culture can imagine. Back then, it would have been tax collectors and prostitutes. For us, who knows, addicts, adulterers, homosexuals, racists, greedy people, you name it. There's nothing in us or about us that can disqualify us from God's grace. The offer is free to every human being, regardless of race, creed, sex, nationality, anything we've ever done or believed. The call goes out both to the good and the bad. So that means the squeaky clean kid who grew up in the church and the drug addicted murderer, it doesn't matter. Now, the squeaky clean kid who grew up in the church, he doesn't earn it, right? He still needs to receive the free offer to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the drug-addicted murderer hasn't forfeited it either. The only way someone can end up on the outside looking in is if he or she actually believes there's something else more valuable. The free offer of the gospel is unconditional. It goes out to anyone and everyone, but there is one condition everyone must meet to truly belong in the kingdom of heaven. So let's say there's someone who's heard this message so far today. And they're thinking to themselves, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm convicted. I, I do tend to prefer other things to the wonder and the glory of the kingdom of heaven. I, 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 do, need to, I do need to prefer the kingdom of heaven more. And, and I really do want to go to the kingdom of heaven one day. And, and um, this is so great that God would graciously offer his kingdom to me still. They desire forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven, the presence of the Holy Spirit, helping them through the trials and the tribulations of this life. And if the kingdom of heaven is like a great feast for a king's son, then I want to be there. And if the invitation is free, if you don't have to earn it, well then sign me up. Right? But there is one condition we must meet. We must enter the kingdom on God's terms. So Jesus finishes the story this way. He says, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's a man, he wanted to go to the feast. Like everyone else, he had done nothing to earn the right to be there. Yet he was still missing something. And the thing that he's missing is described here by Jesus as a wedding garment. And this wedding garment is so important that without it, not only can he not remain at the wedding feast, But this seems like a bit of an overreaction to us. He will be bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness simply because he's not wearing 
the wedding garment. He's going to end up in hell, that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, even though he wants to be there, even though in a sense he accepted the invitation. He's still deserving of eternal punishment? Why? Because when he arrived, after having just come in from the main road, he was offered this wedding garment as a free gift from the king. He was asked to put it on, but he thought to himself, I don't want to wear that. I just want in. So what is this wedding garment? And how does someone obtain this wedding garment? Well, this wedding garment is repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ. No one belongs in the kingdom of heaven unless they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the good works produced as fruit of repentance. So first, we must be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So the truth is, we all have to be perfect to enter the kingdom of heaven. We may not enter on our own record of goodness. None of us are good. We need to be given someone else's righteousness. We need to be given a righteousness. Remember, those who come in from the main road are dirty. We need to be covered in someone else's robes, just like God gave Adam and Eve animal skins to cover their guilt and shame and nakedness. This is what Paul means when he writes this. He says, For his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, meaning I don't prefer anything in this world to the kingdom of heaven. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because I cannot earn my own righteousness, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we receive this righteousness as a gift from God simply by receiving it through faith. Or this passage from Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. We simply cannot cover ourselves with our own righteousness. Isaiah tells us elsewhere that our righteousness is filthy rags. So when we hear the free offer of the gospel, we hear not only the invitation to come and enter the great wedding feast of the Son of God, but we receive that invitation by believing that our sin and rebellion is so terrible that only the death of the Son of the living God could deal with it. Only the blood of Jesus can pay the penalty I deserve for my sin, and I must simply believe that that is true, that I am that sinful, but that Jesus took my sin on his shoulders and puts his robes of righteousness over mine. 
and that nothing I've ever done and nothing that I ever will do can condemn me because I am in Christ, covered in his righteousness. The second thing we must do is repent of our sin. Remember, a good tree will bear good fruit. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right, just like this man who shut up the wedding feast. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So when we come to Christ in faith, we come truly sorrowful over our sin. We don't presume to be able to come to him without repentance. We should be stunned that the Lord of glory would humble himself and die in our place, and that God would sacrifice his one and only son for me, and that my sin cost Jesus his life. And when we understand that, we can never see our sin in the same light. It becomes distasteful to us. And then we base our guilt, not on our feelings of guilt, but on what God's word says we are guilty of. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, after Jesus returns in power and judges the world and the wicked, we're told about the marriage supper of the Lamb. This this feast that we will all as the church get get to experience one day. And this is what we read. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, which is the church, has made herself ready. And how did did she make herself ready? It was granted to her. So it was a gift to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So notice two things. First, this wedding garment here is described as the righteous deeds of the saints. The wedding garment is the fruit of repentance and faith. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. Notice also, it has been granted to clothe ourselves with this garment which means our repentance is a gift from God. So if we don't feel it, we can ask for it. If we cannot accomplish it, we can ask for his strength and his power that he promises to give, and then we can lean into the means that he promises to provide. Confession, his word, the church, worship. Even though repentance is required as part of his wedding garment, he gives us what he requires. But we must repent and believe to belong in the kingdom of heaven, which is why Jesus finishes with this. For many are called, but few are chosen. What's interesting is this whole passage has been a call to action on our part. Believe that the kingdom of heaven is so wonderful that you wouldn't want to miss it. Believe there is nothing about you that disqualifies you from responding to the free offer of the gospel. 
The only condition is a gift that the King of Heaven gives you of repentance and faith. And the kingdom of heaven is yours. And if you are able to do that, it's not because you are so great that you could recognize how wonderful the kingdom is, how sinful you are, and how much you need to clothe yourself in the righteousness of Christ. You need Jesus to clothe you in the ability to repent of your sin and believe. No, it's because God has chosen you. <laughs> Which means don't take any of that for granted. As the Apostle Peter says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. That's first, our second Peter chapter one. Everything we have is a gift. Everything is grace. The knowledge of our sin is a gift. The faith to believe Jesus paid for our sin is a gift. The faith to believe we've been freed from the power and the penalty and the presence of sin is a gift. The ability to turn from our sin with true repentance and sorrow and produce fruit and keeping with repentance is a gift. And the fact that we belong in the kingdom of heaven as an adopted son is a gift. So don't take it for granted. Don't let anything, whether a that's our sin or our farm or our business. Get in the way. Don't let the offense of something God's word clearly says get in the way. Don't let anything stand in the way of putting on that garment that he freely offers us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we see how the themes of the book of Matthew are, are culminating and building on one another as we approach the end. And I pray, Father, that you would use this building momentum so that when we get to the crucifixion of Christ, we see how unworthy we are because of our sin but at the cross, we also see our worthiness, that he would love us so much to come and to die for us. And may that reality stoke in us a passion for his kingdom, for your kingdom that will never fade. May we not grow complacent. May we not be distracted. May we not find anything else more compelling than your kingdom, and let us live our lives for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.